Amen, amen. Thank you. Uh, all right, we are almost done with our Ten Commandments series as we get closer and closer to Advent. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, if you're joining us new today, we're reading from uh, Exodus chapter 20, and then we are on the ninth of the Ten Commandments. We'll be reading from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Um, and anytime you he- see the word capital L-O-R-D in Scripture, it is in Hebrew Yahweh, so you'll hear me say that. Um, And so Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. If you do not have your Bibles, the words are on the screen as always. And then God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. Not you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, a few months ago, a comedian by the name of Dave Chappelle put out a new Netflix comedy special called Sticks and Stones. You'll see it on the screen. And it's a play on the old adage that all of you know, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but words will never hurt me, right? And he begins the show off by mentioning a celebrity by the name of Anthony Bourdain. You'll see, the, you'll see his face on the screen as well, who according to Chappelle, right, had the best job on the planet, He got paid a lot of money to travel around the world to eat amazing food with amazing people. That's his job. And then Chappelle mentions that Anthony Bourdain not too long ago committed suicide because of, according to Chappelle, the rumors, the criticism, the hate, the Twitter beef, all this stuff, what God calls today false witness. Sticks and stones may break my bones and words, according to Chappelle, they kill. And then he follows with the story of a childhood friend from the hood, right, that was so smart that he got out and he made it out of the hood and actually was so smart that he got a full ride to an Ivy League school and then got a full ride to law school and then about the third or fourth year of his law school met this girl and then was, uh, he was still friends with Chappelle and he said, uh, and he was like, hey, should I marry this girl? And Chappelle was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, she's a gold digger. But he did it anyway and then a couple years later, she robbed him, fleeced him dry of all of his money. And the last time he ran into him, Chappelle says, he was managing a footlocker, looking like a referee, that kind of whole bit. You know, you're supposed to laugh. And then, uh, and then living with his mom for the past 10 years, just trying to get his life back on track. And then he goes, and somehow, yet that dude didn't kill himself. Joke's supposed to be, Anthony Bourdain had the life. But being a celebrity today in the world of Twitter and Instagram and all these things and the comments and the false witness that's all over the place literally led him to kill his life. Where this other guy, his friend, who had the life and then it got ruined. And according to Chappelle, is living the worst life in some ways. And yet he is still fighting for life because he has not yet suffered the pain of what the celebrities go through in terms of the false witness they get. The lies, the rumors, the slander. And so Chappelle's response to all of this is to put out a comedy special 
called Sticks and Stones. And in it, basically, the whole point is he knows everyone's going to hate and everyone's going to criticize no matter what he does. I mean, if you're going to criticize Anthony Bourdain, who just went around the world and just ate good food, like what, you know, like clearly they're going to have issues with whatever he's going to say. And he says, so you know what? Everyone's going to talk. Everyone's going to bear false witness. Everyone's going to try to slander me. So I'm just going to go and say whatever it is I want. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words are not going to hurt me. And so he says all sorts of crazy things. Don't watch it because I couldn't make it through 15 minutes because it was just too much. Just shock value everywhere. I think since we were young, we've all been taught that our words, they carry a lot of weight. They're powerful. That we, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. That sort of thing. And yet, though we all know this, this commandment is the one that we regularly break. Although we know how painful and how hurtful and how damaging words can be. Last week, we saw, or maybe you thought, that that commandment didn't reach very much because you're like, I don't steal, I don't do those things, I'm a law-abiding person. But this week, I think we clearly know that this is not good, that rumors, lies, slander, all the negative things that we say all over the place, including online, is not good for the other, and yet we do it every single day. If you've ever been caught in the web of lies, have been slandered by your friend, you know how much this hurts, and yet we cannot stop, it seems, from doing this. So the question is, what does God say? What is this actually? And why is it that we simply don't care that though this is painful and hurtful, why is that? So the three questions that we've been asking through and through, the why, what, and the how— Right? Why this commandment? What is, it that, what is it that God is saying? And how do we keep this commandment? And so we'll just jump right in. First, why does God say this commandment? First reason, in my opinion, is you know it. Untruth, it simply destroys. Let's say it like it is. I mean, check out what God says. You'll see it on the screen. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. Proverbs eleven nine. You shall not go about as a slander among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. Apparently, doing this is acting against the life of somebody. And then Proverbs 25, 18. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbors. Your words, literally, even according to God, they kill. God doesn't shy away from the power of our words and how destructive untruth can be. Untruth destroys relationships, families, communities, and reputations. My professor says, untruth, you'll see it on the screen, is a hungry termite eating away at the fiber of relationship. Can you imagine a world where untruth is maybe the reality or the truth? That there's actually no truth to be found anywhere? And you couldn't actually trust anything that anyone said. And if you know this, if you can imagine a world like this, I know, maybe, maybe we're living in it, but if you can imagine a world like this, it basically turns out that without truth, there is no trust, ever. And without no trust, there's no justice and no order. And without no justice and no order, there is just chaos everywhere. Could you imagine if you literally couldn't trust the word that your parents said, ever? How would you, how would you live? Could you imagine... People who are dating or particularly married ones, if you couldn't trust what your spouses say, I try to imagine what my life would be like if I couldn't trust what Christina said and it just drove me mad. I wouldn't be married, period. If you live in a world like that or have lived in a world like that, I have, life feels just unstable. 
It's nervous. You're just angsty. I know it's not a word, but you get it. See, growing up, I didn't hear I love you very often. But I didn't want to, at least not from my parents, hear those words because I didn't believe it for a hot second. If I heard from them, I love you, it just made me nervous because I felt like something was up. Like they're trying to get something from me. Truth is really important because untruth, it hurts. It's why in court you swear. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? See, the original context that God speaks in this, uh, in this commandment was the courtroom. God knows the power of words, and he knows the power of untruth. And so he set up three safeguards throughout Scripture in the judicial process when you're in court to make sure that people didn't bear faults. And let me just go through them really quickly. The first one on the screen, right, every person's testimony had to be confirmed by two or three other witnesses. So if you're in court and I said so-and-so did this, then two or three other people had to come and confirm that that was true. It's why Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew 18, 16, because he knows that we are much likely, uh, more likely to tell the truth when in the presence of others who know the truth. Like you're not going to lie blatantly in front of other people that know the truth, hopefully. But the second safeguard that he set was because he knows that many people, including two or three or four or five or a whole group, right, can scheme and lie together. If you've seen Oceans 11, 12, 13, or whatever, however many of those videos are, you know that this is true. Because many people can scheme, the second false, uh, the safeguard was that if witness proved false at any time, then that witness would receive the punishment that the one he or she lied about received. So if I'm in court and I said this person committed murder and that person got the death penalty and I was found that I was lying later, guess what happens to me? The death penalty. Clearly, out of fear that that might happen to you, you wouldn't lie and you would actually tell the truth. And then the third safeguard that he set up is as a testifying witness, you were to call to be the executioner, which means if I'm witnessing against someone else's life, and I said this person is the murderer and they deserve the death penalty, then I had to be the one who swung the axe or pulled the plug or whatever it is. I had to be the one who actually did the execution. Because, you know, if you lied and that person died, not only did you lie, but you also were literally responsible for that person's death. It makes you think twice, I think, or at least that was the hope. So in court, false witness, as we can tell, literally can take lives, literally. But the question for us remains, most of you have not been in court, I hope, and most of you have not testified in court to that degree, I hope. So what does it speak to us? Well, I think we know, and particularly in this day and age, parents in the room, if you have young children, we should pay attention, because our children and our young people live in what I call the social courtroom. The court of public opinion is open for business 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. When you are sleeping, that court is still open. Our behaviors, more than ever before, are being interpreted and judged by others, and we are doing so to the other people. Our motives are being judged, and we are judging other people's motives, mostly wrongly, it seems, all the time. If you have an Instagram account, it is nauseating how much judgment and interpretation and social courtroom stuff you have to interpret There's another shooting in California this week. And as soon as I heard, I was actually getting out of bed, and my wife, who, uh, Christina, gets up in the morning to pray, and then she listens to the news so she can kind of pray over what's happening in our country and the world. She had heard this, and literally before I could open my eyes, she goes, honey, there was another shooting today in California. And, you know, I'm trying to, like, I'm literally waking up, but then the first thought instantaneous that I came to mind was, like, I wonder if the spike in all of the ki killings and the shootings isn't because we live in this social media generation.
so easy to spread hate, judgment, criticism today. You can do it from the comforts of your bed in your PJs. Clearly, sticks and stones can break my bones, and words can and will indeed hurt more often than not. Teens in the room, you know this. If the popular girl, the popular guy gives you a thumbs up vote of approval, then you are made, you are set, you're good. But if they give you this, then you're done. Kiss your social life goodbye. Untruth destroys. And I hope you don't wait until it destroys parts of your life before you realize that it does. And the second reason that I think God speaks this commandment is what I call we are natural liars. And what I mean by that is, have you noticed? We, as people, naturally prefer to hear bad and evil things about our neighbors rather than learning the good and amazing things about them. Uh Uh-huh. And if we had the gumption, if you're like me, because I do, because I'm a jerk most of the time without God, you want to speak them, and you would speak them too. Our news every day covers all the terrible things that happen in the world. Could you imagine a news program that only told you the good things happen in the world? Nobody would pay attention and nobody would watch. Oh, in this part of the world, someone did something amazing. Oh, in this part of the world, you know, Penguin was saved. Oh, this is, nobody would watch. We talked about this case earlier, Botham Jean, right? The guy who was in his uh, apartment and an off-duty police officer, right, mistakenly walked into his apartment thinking it was her apartment because she's literally his next-door neighbor, and thought someone was being uh, burglarizing his home, and then so she shot him to death twice without anything. Did you know that within hours, the first news report that came out was that Botham Jean was a weed smoker, that he had weed in his apartment. We revel in this sort of thing. Good news do not, does not get, re- or it does get reported, just not as often, and it's not the headline. And we're just like that, isn't it? If you heard that a bunch of people out of school did really well on the SATs, I guarantee you for the most of you, the first thought would be like, yeah, they must have cheated. They had the answers. Or if we hear that someone wins the lottery, oftentimes our first thought is, yeah, they're going to be broke because they're greedy in like a year. It's who we are. Our negativity, we love, and we love to bear false witness. We prefer it for some reason, so we lied, we hide, we stretch, and we twist the truth all the time. And so I think God tells us not to do so because he knows that we love to do so. Our sin, I think, tells us to do so. And the third reason I think God tells us to not bear false witness is because it's just who he is. All the commandments, as we've seen, flow out of God's character. God will not, and more so cannot, tell a lie. He must be truthful. It's fundamental to his character. It's why Jesus himself says he's the truth, the way, and the life. It's why the spirit is called the spirit of truth in scripture. And it's why Jesus oftentimes has the strongest words of criticism against hypocrites, those who lie. I mean, can you imagine a God, yet alone Yahweh our God, who doesn't tell the truth? One of the fundamental reasons why people don't want to believe in God is because God claims that he is love. And then they look at the things that happen in the world and say, God can't be loved because of this, a.k.a. he is a liar. I can't trust in a God who lies. That's a major reason, right? And so God says this because it's so crucial to who we are, which means if you and I are bearing false witness, then we are literally doing violence to our own character and who we're made to be as people who image the world. 
were made in his image. So then secondly, now that we know why, what is bearing false witness? And this is probably a question that you have. And as you'll see, it's so much more than just abrupt and outright lying. Consider this. And again, when I say this, don't think about other people. Think about yourself. Bearing false witness, in my opinion, is exaggerating things. It's when we stretch details in our stories to make things look better and cooler. If you're a ball player and you made a game-winning shot, you didn't make it from the three-point line. You made it from three feet out, real deep. Your accomplishments, just a little bit higher. I used to lie about my SAT score. I would give it 20 extra points because apparently I thought it sounded cool, you know? 1380 just doesn't quite sound as good as 1400, you know what I'm saying? Bearing false witness is leaving out small details to make things look better. We do it all the time, don't we? Oh, that's not important detail in the story. We'll just kind of leave it out. Bearing false witness, this one sure hurts, is the innocent passing on of a story about someone without first checking the facts. This happens in churches all the time. Yo, did you hear? Yo, I heard that Toby, mm, you know Toby, mm-hmm, I heard. You call and you say that you're his friend, but you don't check the facts. You just call, talk because you heard it. This is how false rumors and gossip starts, does it not? Bearing false witness is subtle suggestions based on mostly nothing on a little thing that you heard. Yo, did you notice that Jerome's been, he's been dressing better lately? You know, dude, I think he likes somebody. Like, God, there's got to be, I mean, some, dressed like a hobo before, now he's dressing all nice, you know. Guess who I saw at Starbucks today? Jerome and Matilda. Yo, something is up, I'm telling you. I know, I, I choose ridiculous names just so you're paying attention. You know this. We do this all the time. It sows seeds of suspicion, distrust, and hurt. And confession, I'm guilty. We do this all the time, and it's got to stop. Like, for real. I hope you know this oftentimes is the thing that ruins churches. Church division, particularly in the Korean church, rooted oftentimes in this type of thing. I mentioned to someone about the future of the church, that there's a possibility of what might happen in seven, ten years, and my thoughts, and what I think could happen, what other people might think could happen. And all of a sudden, three days later, apparently there was a rumor out that my plan was to take over the church and take over senior pastor position. It can't happen like that. People are like, what are you talking about? I was like, ah. By the way, it ain't true. I told you already, I don't want to be senior pastor. And with the online commenting that goes around in our world today, like this has gone to a whole new level that we can't even imagine. Now someone might say, well, Pastor Pete, isn't there situations where lying is necessary? Like where lying is like the lesser of two evils? Well, maybe. But know that the ends do not or rarely justify the means or accomplishing something by disobedience, lies, and sin is a really dangerous slope you probably want to avoid because it usually leads to more lies and disobedience and sin. But I will admit that there are indeed times where telling the whole truth isn't the most helpful thing to do. This is a silly example, but let me just tell you, and maybe I'm just giving myself away, but not all babies are cute. Let me just say it like that. Some of them come out looking like aliens. 
So if, I ever, if you ever have a baby and I call them precious, it means that they ain't cute in my eyes, but they're precious because they're precious to the Lord because they're made in the image of God. True. It just, they ain't cute. Brielle and Chloe, they cute. I'll just go, just, just put it out there. And Grace, if, uh, if you've seen Grace. Or someone who maybe got a haircut and they come in and, you know, they're kind of like, you know, they, they kind of walk funny because they're trying to make you notice their haircut, you know, like they... But you don't think the haircut's real nice? So they're just really trying to get some attention and get some recognition. So if I don't think their haircut is nice, I just go, man, you look really happy today. <laughs> now, more seriously, though, those are just, I know, I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention. More seriously, though, there are actually cases, if you think about when Hitler was around, people who were hiding Jews from the Nazis who told lies to hide them and risk their lives. It's like Rahab who hid the spies from the king of Jericho and was blessed by God for it, who ended up becoming Rahab herself in the genealogy of Jesus. The point is, as we've been saying, all the commandments are for the good and the life of freedom for all of us. And 99.9% of the time, I'm telling you, bearing false witness does not accomplish that untruth. 99.9% of the time, it seems, destroys rather than does anything good. So, how much false witness are we bearing, church? Then third, how do we keep this commandment? And by the way, we've been going through this Ten Commandments, and I want to say, maybe I haven't said it, these are not just airy-fairy suggestions. I hope you actually practice them. I've given you practical and deep spiritual ones on purpose so that you can actually practice them. If you don't remember them, haven't written them down, go check them out on YouTube. Shameless plug. So how do we keep them? First, a few practical suggestions followed by some deeply personal ones that I think are going to be good for you, but that would be a bit more difficult. But first, the practical ones. First, earmuffs. If you've seen the movie Old School, it'll be on the screen. A father, every time he wants to say something ridiculous, would say to his kids, earmuffs, and they do this. A.K.A. don't hear these words that I'm about to say because I'm about to say something terrible. Seriously, though, this is actually a thing that you should try to do. Avoid our propensity, our tendency to listen to gossip, rumors, and suggestions about others. If you walk into a place and you know that's happening, just walk out. Say, earmuffs, I'm out. I'm not listening to this. Refuse to deal with and work with things that aren't actually factual and things that are not for the best of well-being for the others. Like I said, we love to hear the dirt, don't we? Practice some earmuffs. Second practical thing is bite your tongue, but not the way that maybe you have understood it usually. It's not the, ooh, I want to say something terrible, but you know what? I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to bite my tongue and, you know, just going to, just literally, right? Do you know the reason why this is an idiom is because to make you from saying things, you literally bite your tongue. Have you tried it? Like that's the idea. But I'm not telling you that's what you should do because if you just figuratively bite your tongue and don't say it, you just suppress the truth, but it's all in there, it'll expose itself in another way. So more so than biting your tongue just to not say what you want to say, think about what you're going to say. So bite your tongue for about 15, 30 seconds. It's like, I mean, think about what you're, what's about to come out of that mouth of yours and then go, is this for the best well-being of the other? Is this helpful or is this hurtful? And then decide to speak what is helpful. And if you're about to say something hurtful, pray that your heart would change. Bite your tongue. 
And this, by the way, is really important. I didn't want to go into this discussion today because there's a lot going on, but biting your tongue is super important. If you read James 3, he'll tell you the tongue is like a fire. It's like a spark that rages the fire. Your tongue is the control center that reveals what's in actual your control center. God says it all the time. Out of your heart comes all the wicked things what is expressed through your mouth. Richard Foster says on the screen, the tongue is a thermometer. It tells you our spiritual temperature, but it's also a thermostat. It controls our spiritual temperature. Like if you don't think you're angry or bitter, but all this bitterness comes out of your mouth, then you're just, you're faking it. You're lying to yourself. So second, learn to bite your tongue. Not the classic way, but the way that I think is best. And then third, put yourself in their shoes. As you earmuff and as you ask yourself and bite your tongue and say, this, do this. Ask yourself, how would it feel if these things I'm hearing were said of me? Does that thought go through your mind? If you're about to spread a nasty rumor about someone who you think is being, I don't know, scandalous or whatever at school, how would you feel if something like that were said of you? And then as you bite your tongue, ask yourself, how would it feel if what I'm about to say were said of me? Put yourself in their shoes. It's actually pretty helpful. But beyond the practical, let's dig a little deeper, shall we? The first thing that I would like for you to do as we dig a little deeper, it'll be on the slide, is take a look in the mirror. Hmm. Ask yourself, you'll see it on the screen, why isn't the truth good enough for me? Why do I stretch, hide, conceal, and twist, or just straight subvert the truth? Ask yourself, why do I prefer untruth? Why? Because if the tongue indeed reveals what's going on in our hearts, it means that something painful and hurtful is going on in there. False witness doesn't come from nowhere. It doesn't come out of the sky. You have to discover the root because there is one, I promise you. Or ask yourself these tough questions. Look in the mirror and ask yourself these questions. It'll be on the screen. First, you can ask, is it, is it because I'm hurt and I want to get even? You might not want to admit the answer to that question. Ask yourself, is it because I'm angry? Is it because I feel insecure and unworthy and inadequate? Is it because I need to be right and I'm overly self-righteous? Ask yourself, is it because I'm covering up my deep fears? It's not exhaustive, this list. It's not complete, but I think that covers a good chunk of it. You've never asked yourself these questions, looking in the mirror, willing to answer them? And for those of you who have really close friends or if you're in a discipling relationship, you can ask them these questions and see what they say in truth, that they would speak love. Because often people can recognize things about you that you don't recognize in yourself. So first, look in the mirror. Right? Oh, sorry, before we get into the second one. And as you ask yourself these questions, I think you will recognize, as we've seen with the other commandments, that all of this is rooted in a distrust of God. 
our untruth speaks our belief that God simply isn't good enough, that God isn't big enough to protect us, and that God does not treasure us. If God was indeed, if he were indeed good enough, if we indeed trusted that he could protect us, that he treasures us, then our hurts, our inadequacies, our anger, and our fears, they begin to naturally fade away. But if God isn't trusted, if he isn't these things, if he cannot protect or do these things, then we are going to manipulate the truth to protect ourselves, to prop ourselves up, to make myself feel secure. For those of us really churchy people, we'll even do it to say, I need to help God protect me, we'll say. Take a look in the mirror. It's the beginning of healing. Then the second, more deeper, how is come into the light. If you've ever taken this practice to ask yourself some of these questions to really dig deep, it'll begin to reveal truth in your life. And a lot of these truths, they'll hurt. And then at the point when you start to discover these truths, the thing that I'm suggesting is that you go to God, who is the light, so that he can expose me to myself. See, we know that light does two things really well. It lights up the dark, and it reveals things that were hidden in the dark as it expels and destroys the darkness. So when you come into the light, our real hearts, our motives, and our hurts, and all those things will truly be revealed. All of the secrets will continually be revealed. All the things that you didn't know about yourself will indeed be revealed. And I know all of it sounds maybe most likely scary and painful, but I don't want you to think this way because here's really what happens when you do these things. When you ask yourself, look in the mirror, and you come into the light, this is what happens. When you come into the light, Jesus will tell us, as God did in Jeremiah, this you'll see on the screen, that the heart is more deceitful than all else. It is desperately sick who can understand it? God will tell you, your heart is wicked, it's deceitful, it is terrible, it's got sin, and if you would let yourself, and if your sin and your heart ruled, you would do indeed the crazy things. That's why we pray always for the shooter, because I know that if my heart was in the right place, or in the wrong place in this case, at the wrong time, then I could very definitely be that shooter. My heart is deceitful, and it's wicked, full of sin. That's why Jesus tells us in Mark, out of the heart comes all sorts of evil things, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat. He tells us like it is, because it's what's best for us. But then, of course, you'll be like, why would I want to do this, Pastor? Why would I want to actually open myself willingly to being told that I stink. Well, because before we sink into despair and self-hate, Jesus then says, and you'll see it on the screen, I love you. I forgive you. I died to show you that I love you and forgive you. I take your place to give you my life, and I want to completely change your heart. Here's the secret, maybe. And I know, as Christians, it seems like we don't do a whole lot of this. We want to live our lives in front of all the good things that you do. If you serve, you want to prop up. I serve. I do this. I read my Bible. I pray. And you want to surround yourself with all these good things. And you don't actually want to deal with the junk that's in our heart because I know it's painful. It's scary. You don't want to do it. I get it. 
But here's the thing. I want you to ask yourself, if you had two people who said they loved you, right, and you were trying to decide who actually does love you and who does not, and one of them has no idea any of the terrible things or the wicked things that you've done or think or you want to do, and the other one knows completely what you are, what you've done, how you think, how you operate, who would you believe actually loves you? It's not a hard question to answer. But the one on the left here who does not know anything about you, you know deep in your heart that if they ever found out the things that you want to do, they would leave in a hot second. Peace, I'm out. But this one, if they haven't left yet, and they know everything, what could possibly cause them to say, I don't love you anymore? This is why Tim Keller says, as you'll see it on the screen, that the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We keep stressing this in here because it's so true. A A necessary component to us receiving grace is that you recognize how wicked you can and will be apart from him. And then you will know how loved you are. And when this happens, truly happens, we will stop hiding. You will stop stretching. You will stop subverting. You will stop twisting. Why? Because we know that we are loved and secure completely in that love. And when we feel this way, we will always tell the truth. But when we don't, then you will have no choice but to bear false witness because it's the only way to survive. Come into the light. And then third, and finally, simply, speak truth, especially the little ones. Thankfully, our tongue isn't just a weapon of mass destruction. It is also a tool to build up love and trust and goodness. Here's what Ephesians 4, 14 says, and we finish with this. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I know, happens all the time. But speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If we choose rather, knowing how deceitful we can be, to speak truth, even the littlest ones, rather than the lies, you will build up a community unlike anything you've ever seen before. I've told you this, but I tell my sons and I tell my daughter, I tell them that they are wicked and sinful, but I tell them, Daddy loves you forever. There's nothing you can do to change it. That's truth. what God tells us. Speak truth. Even the little ones, they add up. And even as insignificant as they may be, within them contain the gospel. I pray that your lives be marked by the truth. Yeah, sometimes truth hurts. 
But truth always ends with that you are loved by the creator and savior of the world. And therefore, I, a child of that same creator and savior, love you the same. Speak these words, beloved family, to protect and enhance the life of freedom. Before we get into a time of worship, I'm going to give you a second to just process a little bit. I want you to process two things real quick. One, what are the truths, right, that I need to speak and that God needs to speak in my life? What are the truths? And then second, think of the untruths that we love to speak to ourselves and to others. And as you do, I want you to start to compare the two, and I'm going to put them together. And I hope and I pray that the truth of the Lord will tell you that all the untruths are literally that, they're untrue. And you'll find joy and goodness in him.